Hello, I'm Eric Holdeman, and this is Disaster Zone, a podcast about emergencies and disasters of all types. Disaster Zone will bring you interviews with people dealing with all aspects of disasters, from what causes them to how people and organizations are dealing with their impacts. Here's today's program. This podcast is being sponsored by Dynamis a leading provider of information management software and security solutions. You can find them at dynamis.com. Welcome to the Disaster Zone podcast. With me today is Brian Murphy, a principal with Burke Consulting. We will be discussing when and how to hire a consultant along with the benefits and potential pitfalls that you might encounter. Uh, welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks, Eric. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, and just being upfront with everybody, Brian had been a consultant to me when I was at King County Office of Emergency Management, and our relationship goes back to about 2003, 2004. And more recently, um, I've been on his consulting uh, team for an engagement or two. So um, we have a long history together. That's right. A good one. I'll say a good one also. <laughs> I'll second that. All right. So Brian, uh, a lot of people, you know, have not had to uh, engage a consultant or maybe someone's been given the task, hey, we want to hire a consultant, put out an RFP, RFQ, and we'll talk about what those types of documents are later in the program. So before we get into that, what, what type of consultant services does Burke Consulting provide? Sure, so we work uh, for organizations that work in the public good. So often that's public sector, but it also involves uh, nonprofit organizations and foundations. And then we offer a pretty wide array of services focused on strategy, finance, and planning broadly. Um, so we're based in Seattle. We have a team of strategists, facilitators, uh, folks who do economic and fiscal analysis, community engagement specialists, and land use planners. We've been working in emergency management, uh, yes, yeah, since the early 2000s, both as a sub and as a prime. Okay, and most recently, uh, you and I have worked on uh, pandemic flu after action reports for municipalities. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when should an organization think about hiring uh, a consultant? Well, generally, I see three reasons that an, or, uh, an organization will engage a, an outside partner. Um, so sometimes it's specific expertise that they don't have in-house, and so they look for that expertise or that experience uh, from, a, from a consultant. Um, other times, they're looking for a neutral player um, to engage stakeholders in some honest conversation or maybe provide an objective third-party evaluation of the way they're working or maybe the way they performed during an emergency. And that's what we're doing right now uh, for the city of Seattle, looking at their response to COVID-19. Um, and then the third re reason is to engage a consultant to augment staff capacity. Um, and that can be sometimes more cost efficient, even at higher hourly rates um, than bringing you know, new staff on board, getting them uh, onboarded, and then of course, committing to retaining them over, over uh, you know, once once the project itself is done. Yeah, and I've seen uh, times when there's a hiring freeze and mm -hmm. um, you might want to be able to hire staff to do a job. You might even have grant money that 
allows you to hire staff, but you're prohibited from by your parent organization to uh, bring in on FTEs uh, to do that type of work. So uh, that might be one of the other conditions that exist. Anything else? Uh, no, I think that's it. I mean, it's really a targeted application of outside resources for a defined period of time. And ultimately, you'll get a defined scope and defined deliverables from it. Okay. So in, in hiring a consulting firm, what are some of the qualifications that should be looked at to, ter to determine if a firm is the right one for the body of work that's being called for? Well, I, I'd encourage clients to think about it in a, a two-tiered two -tiered way uh, of thinking about it. So, so first, you're going to look for competency. Um, and there are a lot of competent consultants out there. So you'll use an RFP process. And we'll talk a bit about that later. Um, but you'll use an RFP process to solicit proposals. And you'll review those and make sure that you've got the right skill set and that they're um, applying the skills to uh, uh, an approach that's going to get that job done for you. Uh, but once you've done that paper-based review, I think it's really important to engage with your potential consultants through an interview process and get a sense of what it's like to work with that team. Um, I mean, this, it's a pretty intimate relationship in the end once you bring a consultant on board. Um, and you need to make sure they're going to be collaborative, um, flexible, absolutely. Um, I think you want a, a consultant who's going to take some direction from you, but also who will push you and make you think about things in new ways. Um, and um, I would definitely be looking to see, like, in the interview, how the team works together and interfaces uh, with one another, how they interplay with one another. Um, and then be sure you're asking about whether the interview team is the team that's going to be doing the work itself and that you're not, um, you know, being subjected to the, the dreaded bait and switch. Um, and then I think if there's a third tier or a third step, it's looking at their work products, um, seeing the, the, the quality there and making sure that they're not, you know, just turning the same template around again and again for different clients, but really tailoring their work. Um, and I would absolutely talk with references and see how they are to work with. Okay. And so, you know, let's say you've actually hired a consultant out you know, what are some normal expectations that you'd have for how, or the, the customer ought to have, mm -hmm. for how a consulting firm will conduct themselves during the period of the engagement? I, um, we talked earlier about missiles and rockets <laughs> type <laughs> of thing that where you just don't launch them and then yeah. fire and forget. So, No, that's right. I mean, they, they should come in with a point of view, but that point of view should be uh, adjusted and tailored based on what they're learning and, and what they're hearing from you as a client and from your community and your stakeholders. Um, I think the, the first sign that a consultant is, is doing well is if they're listening and adjusting and adapting their plans based on what they're hearing from you. Um, they ultimately do work for you. So as a client, you wanna make sure that they're taking your direction. Um, they should also be making your participation really easy. They should be setting you and your team up uh, for success and so that you can make your contributions as efficiently as possible. Um, and then, you know, we all love a clear scope and a good game plan um, and launch that rocket. Um, but actually, there's going to be some need to adapt. There'll always be challenges and unforeseen circumstances. 
Uh, we've certainly seen that this year, haven't we? Um, and you need someone who's going to collaborate and be flexible and work with you to make the changes that are necessary to get to success in the end. Yeah, a lot, just what you talking about, I could see someone hired a consultant, the work was going to start in um, 2020, early 2020, involved uh, numerous in-person workshops and, you know, engagements right. like that, planning charrettes, and um, that all had to go virtual, and as a good example of what could change. And it happens all the time, even, you know, outside of uh, disruption as big as COVID, like we have to make changes on the fly and the best laid plans are just there to kind of get us started, but then we'll have to adapt uh, okay. as we go. All right. Well, I had an experience and this this is why I brought this question up. So I, I was a consultant and uh, I put together a broad based consulting team, different firms with different skills for uh, a large project. And to do this, I had this mix of companies. Um, and when we were evaluated, the, you know, the potential customer, our proposal had some negative ratings because of the number of companies supporting one team. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think about team composition and responding to a request for proposals? Mm -hmm. So my suggestion would be as a client to always be asking for a pretty detailed budget that shows anticipated level of effort by person, by task. And I would be much more focused on understanding um, whether your proposed, your consultant team is proposing uh, an approach that makes the best use of individuals on different tasks. And you've got clear delineation of roles without a lot of duplication of effort. Um, I'd be more focused on that than I would be on the number of uh, firms on a team. Um, sometimes we, we may think that a single large firm can kind of cover all bases, um, but my experience has been some of those larger national firms can be very siloed and they're, yeah, they bring a lot of skill sets, um, quote unquote, on the same team, but uh, those offices may be on different coasts or different parts of the state and they may not even talk to each other. Um, just, just to make the point, um, I actually have a, a story, I won't name any names in this, but we, we once uh, were a sub to a large uh, national consulting firm, and we were getting close to uh, the delivery date for our proposal, and that proposal was a pretty complex printed document that had to be delivered uh, in, on paper um, by a certain date and time. And of course we were close to that deadline. And so they asked if we as the local firm would be able to print and deliver that, that document. And we said, of course, we'd be happy to do that. And then a few hours before uh, it was due, they called and said, well, hold the presses. Uh, it turns out we have an office in Seattle that we didn't know about. Um, we got a team there and they can print and deliver it. So to me, it just kind of belied this idea that a single firm uh, is everyone's on the same page. Um, and I would just be looking for that in a consulting team is that people are on the same page and offering integrated approach um, more than that they're under the same roof. Okay, I'll take that to heart in case I ever have to do something <laughs> like this again. So I, are, are there any specific warning signals that a customer should be attuned to once engagement has started that indicate there might be an issue with the consultant in delivering what has been promised. Mm, promises, right. Um, well, I think that's, that's why it's so important to have a work plan where you as a client are seeing draft work in progress. 
So I would be asking this outline to then see a draft and then see a final draft before that final product is delivered and use those regular check-ins to make sure your consultant is on track and that you're all on the same page. Um, are they responding to changing information? Um, are they tailoring their work based on, you know, what's happening? Or are you seeing that they're starting to just, you know, produce their, their template that isn't necessarily going to be what you need in the end. Um, and if you're getting any of those warning signs, get their attention fast um, and make sure the work gets going in the right direction and make sure it's getting the attention it deserves. Right. Or perhaps they're not responsive to phone calls or emails. <laughs> not a good sign. Not, not a, a good, good sign. sign. <laughs> Again, they work for you. <laughs> well, Listen, folks, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. We'll talk, we'll turn this on its head and talk about what the consultant's expectation is of the uh, customer. This podcast is being sponsored by Cobra, an emergency management software solution. Cobra provides a cloud-based EOC software that is intuitive, collaborative, and affordable. Visit cobrasoftware.com. And welcome back. We're talking to Brian uh, Murphy with Burke Consulting today about mistakes to avoid when hiring a consultant and tips to make the consulting engagement go better. So, uh, Brian, we were talking about, uh, you know, looking at the consultant. Now, let's look at the customer. Um, mm -hmm. As a consultant, what are some expectations that you have as a consultant for how customers will behave during a contract? engagement? Sure. Well, well, we're really lucky. I mean, we, we generally work with really great clients and it's only with great clients that we can really do great work. Um, the work is really collaborative. And so our best clients are engaging us as partners um, and not um, falling into the consultant as tool trap where they think, um, you know, we engage a consultant, they'll simply get the work done. Um, we rely a lot on our clients for context. Um, we often ask for a kickoff meeting at the beginning that's uh, even off the record. Tell us what we need to know, the landmines, the personalities, um, all that background context. Um, and so that's really important at the front end. And then at the back end, um, our best consultants really own the work. Um, I had two recent engagements where I was not on uh, the agenda when it came time to present the final plan uh, to their council or their stakeholders. They owned the work product that we had produced collaboratively together um, and they took it forward to their stakeholders. Uh, and you know, occasionally we will be there presenting and offering support or even cover saying some things that the client can't say to their, uh, their board or their stakeholders. But ultimately our best clients are, are owning the work as well um, and not just looking to us to deliver the goods. Yeah, it really is this joint effort. It's something, um, as I started working with consultants and being a consultant, I, I figured out that this really is a, a, a team effort and isn't like, you know, you hire the consultant, they, go, they disappear, do all the work, they give no. you the project. Uh, it, it's kind of like actually a, a disaster plan and you could hire a consultant to do that, but I call it the Hoover concept planning in a vacuum that uh, right. if you don't have all the engagement and trading information and concepts, uh, it won't, you know, whatever is produced won't be worth much. That's right. And, and a client could also miss all the opportunities to deepen their relationships with their partners and their stakeholders if they're outsourcing all of that to their consultant. 
Okay. Now, you know, when people uh, go out to request consulting services, solicit for them, mm -hmm. uh, I've always used uh, an RFP, request for proposals, but I've also seen these um, uh, requests for consultant services to be either a request for information, RFI, or requests for qualifications. What's the difference between those three? And when, when would you use one over the other? Mm, sure. So an RFQ or an RFI is a little more exploratory generally. So this may be the case where a client is looking for help in figuring out the right way to tackle a problem. So they're looking for information. That's the RFI. Um, how might you approach this? Uh, what's the expertise uh, that you would bring? That kind of comes into the qualifications or the RFQ. Um, but it's not necessarily going to result in a uh, proposal, proposed approach that gets translated directly into a scope. It's not that precise and it may not come with a budget. It may come more with a budget range. An RFP is an indication that, hey, we know what we want <laughs> and um, now we're looking for you to tell us exactly how we'd get there, who the team would be, what the schedule and the, and the cost would be. So it's much more precise. Okay, all right. Uh, do you see one more than the other? Yes, um, we often see RFPs. I mean, that's the most typical vehicle. Um, we will try to engage the client then in conversation because what gets written down on the page is still sort of a pale representation of what they're looking for. So we find our best clients are often willing to have that conversation beforehand and share some more context so that we can put forward the best, uh, best proposal. Okay, and I'll ask you a question. We, you know, we talked about in advance what we've talked about today, but uh, it's kind of like in hiring people. So I'm, I'm, uh, this is a bonus question here for you. Um, when I knew I had a vacancy coming up or I had a new FTE position uh, for hiring a person, a full-time equivalent, uh, I would go out and recruit people and say, hey, I got this position coming up and um, here's the basic qualifications, what it is. It isn't advertised yet, but I'd I'd love to have mm -hmm. you apply uh, mm -hmm. for the position because I think you'd be great for it and encourage you to do that. Uh, I want you to know I'm talking to other people at the same time. This is not me. Mm -hmm. uh, you're a shoe in. It's not wired for you to get this mm -hmm. job. Um, and then once the RFP, our, uh, RFQ comes out, then it's mum's the word. Uh, you mm -hmm. have strict measures. You can't talk to anybody other than you can submit questions or there's an oral interview that um, is done, a Q&A orally, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Would that also pr uh, uh, be appropriate for, you know you're gonna have this body of work and you go out talking to different consultants in advance for ever putting, before ever putting anything out or is that mm, not, not according to Hoyle? Oh, I, I... I think it's important, particularly for a more innovative project or more complicated project. Um, as a client, you have a lot of work to do before you issue that RFP to make sure you're thinking about it creatively, thinking about it broadly, uh, of course, scoping your resources and your timeline and your expectations. So I would think there's a lot of conversation there on the client end that needs to kind of explore those parameters and kind of settle in before you issue that RFP. Yeah. Um, and then absolutely, yeah, it should be like 
very equitable process from there out. And yeah. you should be looking for surprises and you should be looking for people you haven't spoken with yet uh, to maybe change your mind on things. Uh, yeah, but ethically, there's nothing wrong with going out and doing it because you might become much smarter about what you should be asking for, I would think. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, last question here is uh, any last thoughts for our listeners today about how to make their consulting engagements uh, successful or more successful? Well, I think, um, you know, I'll just recap. I mean, you're at the top here. You said the, the title of the podcast is three mistakes to avoid when hiring a consultant. So I'll boil the, this down to three ideas uh, that we've covered. So one is, you know, don't engage a consultant until you're, you're ready to go. It's good to have that exploratory process as we were just talking about, and you can use uh, general conversation or an RFQ or an RFI to help you get information. But once you sign that contract, um, the consultant needs from you direction and guidance. So be ready to go. Um, I think point number two um, is engage a consultant you're gonna work well with. Um, it's a, it can be a pretty intimate relationship, so make sure they're gonna take direction from you, they're gonna push you a little bit, bring new ideas to the table like any partner, and ultimately that you're gonna work really well together for the good of your community. Um, and then finally, the third point is don't outsource your responsibility as a customer uh, for that final product. Um, you gotta be prepared to set up your consulting team for success and own the final outcomes of the work. Okay. Uh, good three tips of what not to do to uh, ensure a better uh, consulting engagement. So, so I just want to say thank you, Brian Murphy, Burke Consulting, for being a guest here on the Disaster Zone podcast. Thank you, Eric. Big fan of the podcast and appreciate the chance to uh, speak with you. Well, I hope every person listening today learned something about uh, hiring and working with a consultant. And before we leave, I want to just a uh, last reminder to everyone to be safe. Think about what you can do today to become better prepared for the next disaster and perhaps it'll include hiring a consultant in the future. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's Disaster Zone podcast. Tune in again soon for more information on all aspects of disasters and what people and organizations are doing about them. You can also check out the Disaster Zone blog at www.disaster-zone.com.